All right, Nathan, thank you so much. Um, so today I'm, I'm kind of scrambling just a little bit in case you can't tell. Uh, I now have two masks. I was looking for my mask a moment ago, and then I realized it was right there the whole time. Um, so we are right in the middle. We're, we're doing a series called Fight the Good Fight. And this series is based upon, um, it's based upon 1st Timothy, uh, 1st Timothy. And two different times in Timothy, at once at the beginning, once again at the very, very end, uh, Paul makes this statement to Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith. And what we want to do as followers of Jesus is we also want to fight that good fight. Uh, as a boy, to, I want to take a moment. We're going to address some stuff in the scriptures that are probably, you ever hear part of a phone call and you think you understood what the call was about? Maybe even got a little bit upset by what the phone call was about and then later found out it had nothing to do with what you thought it was about? Sometimes when you read the scriptures, if you take a verse or even a few verses, but you don't look at the verses in its context, you can draw conclusions. In fact, in fact, people can even use scripture abusively in the life of other people. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen. And so what I want to do is before we get into what we're going to address today, I kind of feel like I need to talk with us a, a little bit about how to rightly understand and interpret Scripture. Is this okay? So if this feels a little bit like a seminary class, that's okay. That's okay. Because you really want to be able to learn how to read the Scriptures and really understand the Scriptures. So sometimes people will read a passage of Scripture and they'll say, well, to me, this means, and then they'll say what it means. But the truth is, all of us need some basic guidelines or rules for how we actually understand the Scriptures. And we need to use those guidelines consistently in order to rightly understand Scripture. So when I was a boy, uh, you know, just for me personally, I found the Scriptures confusing a lot of times. I had no clue how to understand them uh, or apply them to my life. But now, a few years later, after about 44 years, uh, actually 45 years of study, uh, and then I crammed four years of education into seven uh, in grad school, uh, where I got to study a little bit more. Um, it, I, I just, uh, I, I've learned a little bit, and I want to give you four basic rules that I use pretty consistently. So if you go on, if you Google this, you're going to find, you know, some, one guy's going to have seven rules, someone else is going to have eight, another guy will have 14 or whatever. I just want to give you four, just four. And I think if you follow these four guidelines consistently, you will come to a pretty good understanding of Scripture on a consistent basis. First of all, first principle is this. We always interpret the text in its context. Okay? So if you take a word from the Bible, um, I don't know. Uh, if you take a word from the Bible... You take a sentence from the Bible, but if you're not really looking at the sentence in the larger context, you might not rightly understand it. So, for example, today we're going to be looking uh, at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, but I think it's wise for us to understand how, does that, how do those verses fit in the larger context. So we're going to talk about that. Number two, we always interpret Scripture with Scripture. Now, how is that different from the first one? So when I said we interpret the text within its context... What I mean there is, if we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
We want to understand it. How does it fit in 1 Timothy as a whole? But like in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's going to address several things. He's going to address the roles of men and the roles of women in the context of the church. Uh, He's going to talk a little bit about what he calls overseers or spiritual leaders, elders, pastors in a church. But there are other texts of Scripture that also speak to these things. So one thing that Paul's going to do, he's going to go all the way back to Genesis chapters 1 through 3 and addressing something that he wants to, to speak to here. So we want to interpret Scripture with Scripture. We look at how is a theme developed over the 66 books of the Bible, okay? Uh, third simple rule or it, uh, principle of interpretation is this. We always interpret what is cloudy. You understand what I mean by cloudy? We all, you ever read a text of Scripture and you're like, what on earth is that about? Okay? But then you read another text that addresses the same subject and you're like, okay, I know what that means. We always interpret what is cloudy, what's not absolutely clear to us, by those texts that are much more clear to us. Okay? So we uh, interpret what is cloudy by what is clear. And then finally, four, we always interpret Scripture in its plain sense. Now, some of you are going to say, what on earth does it mean to interpret Scripture in its plain sense? Let me give you an example. I've I've got to go here because this is kind of fun. This is kind of fun. Because it sounds really bizarre, all right? Um, if I can find it. Um, so it says here, um, uh, it, you know, John in, in, in the book of Revelation. Uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, John is seeing this vision. And in this vision, he, he, he turns and he sees... Uh, these, what he calls seven gold lampstands, and, uh, in, and then he sees someone like a son of man. Now, you remember who the son of man is when you read through the Gospels? Who? Jesus, okay, son of man. He sees one like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Okay, so far, so good. Nothing there too alarming. Um, he says here, uh, the hair on his head was like wool. As white as snow. Okay, still not too bizarre. His eyes were like a blazing fire. Now, it's starting to feel a little weird. Okay? Starting to feel... I feel like I'm watching a sci-fi movie right now. You know, you see these blazing eyes coming out of their, their head. Um, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Okay? Uh, in, in his right hand were seven stars coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. Does that feel a little bit strange to you? Okay, so what are we saying? Are we saying that Jesus has a sword for a tongue? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be understanding the Scripture literalistically, but maybe not literally. All right? Uh, what I mean by that is this, is that Think of it this way. Think of the, the, the sword representing judgment. The, 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 the sword is God's judgment, and uh, the tongue are the words of God's mouth, meaning that judgment is in the very words of God's mouth. Now, as you read through Revelation as a whole, and you read about all these great judgments that come upon uh, the nations and uh, upon the world, you see that that's pretty consistent. So you see, we're understanding it not in a literalistic sense, but in its plain sense. 
we're understanding it has a literal meaning, even though it's using figures of speech. Does that make sense for you? All right, all right. So when we come to Scriptures, we always want to know how to understand the Scriptures. Then finally, let me say this. This is not a rule of interpretation. This is just a really good rule to live by. Sometimes God says things that are hard for us to hear. You ever have to say something really hard to a loved one? I've had to. I've had to, like with friends on occasions, I've had to to speak hard truth. Uh, And and there's nothing fun about that. Okay? Uh, and, and, And the truth is, and I've had people who've had to speak hard truth into my life. And sometimes it's not hard for me to receive hard truth. But if I receive hard truth from my wife, Joy, this is what I know. I know she loves me. I don't question that. I know she loves me. I know that she is for me. I know she wants what's best for me. I know that she is a very, very wise woman. And I know that it would be very foolish for me to ignore what she says. Does that make sense? And sometimes God says things to us that may be hard for us in the moment to understand or to accept. Sometimes because we've been discipled by our culture. Sometimes because we're selfish. Or I'll say, because I'm selfish. You're not selfish. Okay? And, uh, but I need to listen to the Word of God. And I need to trust the heart of God. Um, I, I, I heard it explained this way once as a young man. Is that even when we don't understand the hand of God are the words of God, we can always trust the heart of God. Does that make sense for you? If you don't walk away with anything else today, I hope you'll walk away with that. So today we're going to look at some hard sayings uh, in the Scriptures where it speaks specifically to women. speaks specifically to women, okay? And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk briefly about 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But before I do that, I want to give you a context. Because 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, it's in a larger context. It's in a larger context. So let me give you the context real quick. In, In verses 8 through 10 of 1 Timothy 2, Paul wanted the Christian men of Ephesus... He was speaking specifically to men. He wanted the Christian men in the city of Ephesus to pray without anger. Why? Well, probably because some of them were angry. Okay? And they needed to pray more. So he wanted the Christian men in Ephesus to pray without anger. By the way, is that still relevant for us today? Absolutely. Sometimes I struggle with anger. You know, if I feel frustrated, if I feel, uh, if I feel threatened, or if I feel afraid, if I feel hurt, I can start to respond in anger. And so I need to be reminded to be angry but not sin. So, so he says here that God wanted the Christian men of Ephesus to pray without anger, and he wanted the women to make themselves beautiful by living godly lives. In our world today, is there a lot of preoccupation with beauty? There is. Now, sometimes we can almost make beauty inaccessible to a woman. And the same kind of thing was happening in Ephesus where some women who were extremely rich were 
making themselves beautiful in a way it called attention to the lavishness of their wealth instead of calling attention to God. And what Paul was saying, hey, make yourself beautiful in a way it calls attention to God. Make yourself beautiful by living a kind life, a godly life. So he, he wanted women, uh, he wanted the men in Ephesus to pray without anger. He wanted the women to make themselves beautiful by living godly lives. He wanted the women of Ephesus to quietly receive, receive instruction in the word of God while seeking to be fully submitted to God, following the model of creation rather than seeking the role of overseer and trusting in God's saving work. Then God wanted the role of overseer, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, which we'll look at next week. God wanted the role of overseer to be filled with men of integrity, uh, men of integrity uh, who have the responsibility of teaching God's word and caring for the church. And then God wanted the role of deacon and deaconess to be filled with both men and women, who served the church with integrity. And finally, God wanted the Christians in Ephesus to know how they were to conduct themselves in God's household, the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. So today, do we need to know how to conduct ourselves in God's household? Yeah, we do, don't we? Don't we? We, we want to do that in a God-honoring way. And so that's what we're going to be learning about. That's what we're, we've been learning about over the last couple of weeks. We're going to talk about it more today, and we're going to talk about it more over the next couple of weeks. So let me read for you real quickly. Let me find it in my Bible because uh, I need to make a uh, – okay, there it is. Uh, interesting. I had, my, I had my bookmark right there so I knew where to go. That helps me. I'm going to put a paper clip here so I don't lose my place. If I do, I know where to come back to. We had planned to do this very differently today. This was supposed to be a panel discussion of Joy, me, and, and, and Carolyn. And Carolyn was going to carry the, uh, the heavy load of it. Uh, but she needs to be with Matt today. So God's with us. Even if Carolyn isn't, the Word of God is with us. We're going to look at God's Word. Let me read for you some Scripture, all right, and then talk about how this applies. The Bible says a woman should learn in quietness. Uh, now, God is not saying here, women, shut up, okay? Let's just be really clear about that. When God says that a woman should learn in quietness, he's not saying women are supposed to shut, shut up. This doesn't mean absolute quietness. In fact, if you want to know what the word quietness means, just go back up to uh, verse 2, where it says here that God wants us to live peaceful and quiet lives. Would you like to live a peaceful and quiet life? So a quiet life is a well-ordered life. It's not, it doesn't mean that a woman is never supposed to speak in the context of a church. But what it does mean is that God wants her to listen to the word of God with a well-ordered spirit. Now, remember, we're going back and forth, talking about men, talking about women. And what's being said to women here, gentlemen, this doesn't mean that you get to be all wild and crazy and not listen to God's word without quietness. That you're also supposed to hear the word of God in this way. But there were some women, probably in Ephesus, who were having difficulty with this. And so Paul had to speak to what was happening there. And so what, what, what Paul says is this. He says, uh, a woman should learn in quietness, uh, a well-ordered spirit, and full submission, meaning fully surrendered to God. By the way, are men supposed to submit? Yeah, 
remember now real quick, remember who we're talking about here and who we're listening to here. We're listening to Paul. We're listening to Paul who's speaking to Timothy. And we know that that Timothy is a pastor of a church in Ephesus. By the way, we have another book of the Bible that was also written to the Ephesians. And it's really interesting as you read through First Timothy, if you'll go back and read through Ephesians, you'll find that Paul visits a lot of the same themes there, but he speaks to them in slightly different ways. He doesn't just speak here. In here, he's talking more about the church, but in the book of Ephesians, he talks about some of these same principles, but in the context of the home. And when the Lord talks to us about living well-ordered lives in our homes, you know what the Bible says? It says this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if someone comes up to me and says, submit, how am I going to respond? How am I going to respond? My back's going to get kind of straight. I'll stick my chest out just a little bit, and I'm going to say, make me. That's just kind of the way I am. Is that, that there's a part of me that wants to resist submission. And so God's word speaks to me and says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what that means is I'm supposed to living a life of submission, putting my wife first. Because that's what Ephesians 5 and 6 talks about. Joy's going to come up and talk about this in a moment. It means I'm supposed to be submitting to my daughter. That doesn't mean she gets to set my bedtime and stuff like that, okay? But what it does mean is I'm supposed to put her first in the way I live every day in our home. Are you with me here? And then, uh, and we'll talk about this more. Joy's got some good stuff. Is that okay? Did I call you up later to talk about that? Um, where she's going to speak to this a little bit more, and I think she has some really, really good insight. So what God is saying here, particularly to these women, because they were having a hard time with this, he was saying a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. So he's not saying women are supposed to do this and men aren't. Okay? So let's just be clear about that. Uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, those are really interesting words. And we're going we're gonna to talk about what does it mean to assume authority, to teach and assume authority. Because those two things are woven together, together here, here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, but it's also woven together later in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Okay, it's also woven together there. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Mm, okay, let's talk about this. And let me, let me move quickly so I don't lose my place here and make this longer than it needs to be. All right, first of all, uh, let's under, understand this, okay? What does God want these particular women uh, in Ephesus to do? Is bottom line, he wants them to learn in a respectful manner. Should we learn the scriptures today in a respectful manner? Yeah. Should we listen to the word of God with well-ordered lives? Yeah. Should we be listening to the word of God with lives fully surrendered to Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Okay? That's something that the women in Ephesus needed to do, and that's something that women need to do today, and that's something that I need to do. In fact, I spent all day Tuesday doing exactly this. I spent the day Tuesday, well, actually I did it through a Zoom meeting, with several other pastors, and we were listening to a guy from Missouri, a pastor there, as he was preaching to us from the Scriptures. 
And, uh, and we spent about, I don't know, we spent about six hours going through the scriptures together. And so I was just sitting there listening, trying to do what the Bible says that really all of us are supposed to do. We're supposed to, we're supposed to listen to the word of God quietly and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're to learn in a respectful manner. Number two, uh, pastor elder roles in the church are designed for men who are qualified uh, and called. Now, here in, um, here in verse, um, uh, in verse 12, it doesn't say elder or overseer. Okay? It, it says that a woman should, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. Okay, but remember, every text has a context. And what follows these verses? Chapter three, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And it goes on to talk about the qualifications of this overseer. He must be above reproach, faithful to his wife. So sounds here like a man. Okay, faithful to his wife. Uh, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, uh, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but but uh, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Uh, he must, must uh, manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. So what it's talking about here is it's talking about men and the qualifications of men who fulfill the role of of elder. Later, in chapter 5, uh, Paul is also talking about elders. Uh, chapter 5, verse 17, he says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So what do these elders, overseers do? They direct the affairs of the church, and then they work really hard at preaching and teaching. Do you see this? That oversight... And preaching and teaching are woven together in a single role of elder or overseer. So when Paul is talking about a woman not assuming authority and teaching over a man, it's not saying that women there's no place for women to lead in the church. Nor is it saying there's no place for women uh, to, to lead in the church. In fact, if you go back to Romans chapter 16, I apologize, I'm going to do some, some Bible hopscotch here this morning. In Romans chapter 16, because there's sometimes people will read this and they'll just kind of think that, gee, it sounds like Paul's a woman hater. And, and what I'm going to say is that, that Paul was nothing like a woman hater. He wasn't. Because when you go back to Romans chapter 16, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. By the way, you know who took the letter of the Romans to the Romans? Probably Phoebe. Why do I say that? Because she's from a town called Sincrea. Sincrea is right next to Corinth. It's kind of like Susun and Fairfield. Okay? It's kind of like Susun and Fairfield. And so, uh, and, and so he says, in uh, the book of Romans was written uh, from, from Corinth. He says, I commend you our sister Phoebe, a deacon, a deacon, a leader. In the church in Sincrea. I asked you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Wow. 
So Paul looked to a woman as his benefactor, someone who helped him, someone who, who helped him in his ministry, that there was a place there. And as you read through Romans chapter 16, he commends a woman named Priscilla uh, who risked her life uh, for Paul's sake. Uh, we read about Priscilla and her husband Aquila in uh, the book of Acts and how they instructed Apollos in the way of God. Uh, so we do see a place for, for female leadership. Later in uh, chapter 16, he talks about a woman named Mary who worked very hard in the faith. He talks about two women, Tryphena and Tryphosa, women who work hard in the Lord. He talks about a woman by the name of Perses, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, uh, we just finished our study of Philippians 4, and it talked about two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who contended at Paul's side for the sake of the gospel. So what we do see is we see women leading, we do see women teaching, but what we don't see is we don't see them filling the role of overseer, elder, pastor. Does that make sense? All right, back to the text, or today's text. Um, so we are to learn in a respectful manner. Pastor elders are roles in the church designed for men who are qualified and called. Women are not excluded uh, from teaching, exhorting, encouraging, contributing. And then Paul says there are two reasons for this. Why? Because um, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 um, uh, and 14, uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Okay. Real quick here, real quick. Let's go back. Let's interpret Scripture with Scripture. Is Paul blaming Eve for everything bad that's happened to mankind? No, no, no. Uh, you know, when you go back and you look at Romans chapter 5, who does, who does Paul put responsibility for man's fall into sin on? Anybody know? Okay, real quick, Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Who's the one man? Adam. Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people, to you and to me. Uh, because all sinned. By the way, it's not just Paul who sinned. It's you. It's me. It's Eve. It's Adam. It's us. We have sinned, and we are sinners. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. Uh, and so um, I think what Paul is doing here is he is drawing an analogy from creation to make the point uh, that spiritual authority uh, is based upon creation, Genesis 1 through 3, and not culture. Okay? So we don't change the teaching of Scripture. We don't change the teaching of Scripture to suit the whims of our culture. Does, does that make sense? God is king. Culture is not. When God and our culture come to a place of disagreement, who's right and who's wrong? God's right. Culture needs to adjust. Okay, and so what we're not going to do in our churches, we're not going to bend the teaching of God's word to the cult, uh, to our culture. So in our church, just let me so make sure this is super clear. Is in our church, there is always a role 
for men and women to lead. So we had an elder team consisting of men, a pastoral team consisting of men. But we have a lot of fantastic women leaders in our church. Can anybody name one? Joy's a fantastic leader, isn't she? Leads her. Carolyn's not with us today. She's been leading our revival prayer. She's a fantastic leader. Who? Kimberly's a fantastic leader of our children's ministry, and she led uh, one of our most important outreaches of the year last night. I don't know how many people from our community showed up, but that wouldn't have happened without Kimberly and without all of you who helped out. Don't get me wrong there, but but can you think of any other outstanding? Kathy Gray, fantastic woman leader. Our church has always embraced strong, humble male leaders and has always embraced strong, humble female leaders. And so we are going to be a church that's led by the teaching of God's word, by men and women submitted to Christ and submitted to to listening and receiving God's word with well-ordered lives. That's what we're going to do. Real quick, what I want to do, and I don't know how to do this, so I'm just going to do it sloppy. Joy, why don't you come up and share with us a few of your thoughts that were kind of, um, I don't know, which which mic should, where's Cody? Okay. I uh, just want to make sure we got her on the right mic, so. Do you want a seat? Or you want to stand? Okay. Everybody, so this has been um, a really neat conversation, actually, that we've had. We're preparing for today, and um, you know, I'm sorry Carolyn couldn't be here because she had some really great thoughts on this. But um, the part I wanted to share in this is, first of all, for our visual learners, I'm a visual learner. If I can see a picture, I can kind of connect with it. And uh, this passage. Um, So to me, I wanted to see kind of a visual of what this passage was talking about. So here uh, for the church, thinking about, you know, who's leading in the church is, you know, of course, our first leader, our first authority is God. And, uh, you know, he's in control over all of us. And then next is the pastor and the elder of the church. And according to this passage that we read today of God's word, that those would be men. And then under, and then the next in authority would be the congregation, the women, men, women, and children. And what I think is neat about the visual of this, and I actually saw this as a teenager, is I see this like as a woman, um, I see this as like God's protection as a woman. And I think that you know God, you know my first, uh, you know. God, of course, is an authority over my life, but in our church, that our pastor and our elder team, they're the next in authority, but they're also overseers. What is an overseer? They oversee the church. They want to make sure we're okay. I think of like a shepherd. So what does a shepherd do? They make sure the sheep, you know, they got their eyes out, and they're like, okay, is the sheep okay? Is the sheep okay? So what Gary and our elder team, what they're doing is, I can't see your face. Um, what they're doing as an overseer, it's like they're shepherds making sure that as a congregation, we're taken care of. And so what I see as, you know, as a woman and as someone who leads in the church, you know, I see God's protection over me. I've got God and I've got my pastor and our elder team 
like over protecting me. And I see that as a blessing. I mean, as a woman, I see it as a blessing. And uh, in the next slide I wanted to show you was it, it just goes into the family in Ephesians 5 and 6. And this isn't our passage today, but I love that God's word, as Gary was saying earlier, you know, scripture always confirms scripture. It doesn't, it doesn't contradict scripture. So like God's order of the family, you know, of course, God is an authority over all of us. And then because of creation order, he has the husband and then the wives and the children. And, you know, and what's, and again, as a woman and as a wife, I see this as God's protection over me. You know, I have God in control of my life. And in our family, you know, for the most part, Gary and I, I feel like we really do, I mean, we make major decisions together and we discuss major decisions. And for the most part, we usually agree, and that works out well. <laughs> but the truth is, is sometimes we don't. And where this comes in handy, if you will, because of God's plan, is you can't have two people driving a car. You know, ultimately, somebody's got to take the wheel. And so because of God's creation order, God has created, okay, if you're married, you know, the husband is the head of the home. Does he consult me? Absolutely. If we've got something we need to discuss, it's like, Joy, let's talk about it. What are your thoughts about it? And I feel like there is this mutual respect we have in our marriage. But if we do disagree because of what God's word is saying, I'm going to say, well, you know what, honey? You're the head of our home, and I'm going to let you make the final decision. And you know what? Because he, God has put him in authority over me. You know what? I'm going to get it if I mess up is what she's trying to say. He's responsible. So, like, as a wife, I'm like, you know, I want to be, you know, I want to honor and respect him. And he really does honor and respect me. There's that mutual respect we have for each other. But ultimately, if we don't agree on something... I'm going to confer to him because he's my husband, and you know what? It's his responsibility. Hmm. And and that doesn't mean we do any I told you so's or anything like that, you know, depending on what it was. But um, so for me as a visual learner, this helps me because the umbrellas, I see that as God's protection over me. Hmm. Not that, you know, the men, you know, have it over the women or whatever. It's not that. It's that you can't have two people driving a car. You've got to have somebody who is in charge. And in the family, because of God's created order, you know, God is God. And then if you're married, you know, your husband and then your wife and your children. And then in the church, that, you know, the pastor and the elders are the overseers. They're the shepherds. They're making sure we're okay. And, um, and then, you know, we have, as women, we have, you know, so many leadership roles we do have in the church, but those specific roles God has for men, and that's okay, and that's good. So, anyway, that was just my two cents, and I had to get a picture up there because I'm a visual learner, so I hope that helps you connect a little bit with it. Thank you, little tweet. I appreciate that. So, uh, basically, this idea, this umbrella of authority she's talking about is meant to be a source of protection. So, this raises a question because I, I think that it's not in the text... But it just raises a question I think that would be wise for me to speak to. 
What about the person uh, in a church where you have a, a quote unquote a pastor or an elder team that is, um, how do I say this, autocratic? Um, that is um, abusive. Does that make sense? Is it okay for me to ask that question? Because you know, and I know in real life, there are women who've been in abusive marriages, relationships with men who are violent. And submitting to one another, I don't think ever means that you're supposed to put yourself in a place where you're going to get injured or um, I just I don't believe that. I believe, you know, if, if a woman came to me and she told me she thought her life was in danger, I would tell her, please, I think you need to remove yourself. You need to remove your children from your home and you need to get help. You know, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to help you, but I think you're going to need more help than I can give you. And if we need to call the police, we're going to call the police. But so I don't think this is what we're talking about. I think when we're talking about this kind of submission, I think we should understand in the context is that that. You know, in John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as being the good shepherd. The good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Okay? So what that means for me is in the last 26 years, I haven't tried to climb the upward ladder of mobility to success. I haven't tried to go from church to church to church, always moving to a little bigger salary and a little bigger church. I've chosen not to do that. Why? Because I've been called to shepherd people, not to follow a path of self-promotion and, and career advancement. Are you following me here? And, and I, I, I believe that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's never about the shepherd. It's always about the sheep. Husbands, husbands, your responsibility as a husband is to head your home by sacrificially serving your wife and your children. And Steve and, and John, and uh, Matt's not here today, Eric's not able to be here today, but our responsibility is to sacrificially, and I can say this, that these men do this. John does this. Steve does this. Eric does this. Uh, Matt does this. And nobody sees how much they sacrifice for this church as much as I do and their families do. They sacrificially serve this church. Only once have I asked, had to ask someone to step down from a role of elder in our church uh, because I felt like they were not doing that. Uh, and I didn't do it on my own. I, I did it with, I, I talked to the elder team about it, but it had to be addressed. Only once in 26 years have we had to do that. But here's the thing is that we are not going to lead our church autocratically. We're going to lead our church sacrificially. And we're going to talk more about leading and serving the church with integrity next week. That's what we're going to pick up on next week. Uh, the Bible does not exclude women from every role of leading and teaching in the church. But here it does teach us that the role of overseer, I think in the larger context, that the role of overseer is a male-specific role. But we are going to continue to women, welcome women in areas of leading and teaching uh, in, in other roles in our church because we value 
we value what they bring. By the way, uh, these women that we talked about earlier, Kimberly, uh, Joy, uh, Kathy Gray, Carolyn, um, uh, I, I hate to start naming names because I always leave someone off, uh, Jen, but we have these other women in our church who have sacrificed, they make sacrifice in serving and leading our church as well. Um, so let's do this. Um, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And uh, and uh, so I did get a couple of texts from Matt and Carolyn this morning uh, as we've been in worship. Because I asked them to contact me. I said, I said call me uh, or, or text me. Uh, even in the service, because I want to know, because I know you guys want to know too. So basically, uh, right now, it's looking like um, this is a, a, a classic case of uh, of him being uh, anemic. They are looking for a possible internal bleed. So uh, they're going to be doing a CT scan. Uh, I, I don't think we need to panic, but I do think we need to pray. Uh, because the thing is, even if everything's okay, just facing that for Carolyn, I know, feels really, really stressful. And for the girls, it feels really stressful. So I'm going to leave you some prayer for them. I will let you guys know as soon as I know something. I'll send you out an email blast. Uh, I'll cl- clear it with Matt and Carolyn first. But I'll keep you in the loop about what's going on. Okay? Uh, let's pray. God, this morning... We want to continue to worship you and we want to praise you because you are good and you are faithful and you are great and you are awesome. You are on the throne. Lord, right now you are with Matt and Carolyn in the middle of this. You are with Lauren and Katie in the middle of this. I pray, God, that you would give them your sustaining grace. Lord, give the doctors, the medical professionals, the skill, the wisdom they need to address what's going on. And, uh, Lord, help us just to continue to pray for them. God, in our church, uh, we want to honor you uh, in everything we do. We want to honor you. We want to put you first in all things. And, Lord, in the way that we think about leadership, we want to honor you. God, we want our leaders to lead sacrificially, uh, not not personal promotion, but seeking the greater good uh, of all people. And to do this in a way that's faithful and true to the teaching of your word. Help us, God, to do that. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.